Hey guys, and welcome back to the channel. Do you remember when you were 19? I do, because I was at university playing sports and, you know, just enjoying life. And, you know, I might tune in, and I was tuning into all the tennis. And at that time, it was, oh, who's going to be making the US Open final? Who's going to be the world number one at the end of the year? And you had Nadal and Djokovic and Federal all competing in their primes. Well, at 19 years of age, Carlos Alcaraz, he's not university. He's not just relaxing and going with life. No, no, no. He has become the world number one in the world after winning the US Open 2022 edition, beating Kasparud in a very, very, very impressive display in four sets. And I have to say that Alcaraz has not only broken a few records, which we're going to get into, but he's definitely potentially inspired a generation if this continues at the same rate that we expect it to now after this victory. Before we get into it, remember to hit that like button and subscribe if you are new. If you are watching on a podcast platform, do leave a rating or review. And thank you to those who have joined our membership scheme on YouTube. Well, it's not a scheme, it's just a, a membership, which helps support the channel and you get some cool perks from it as well. So do check that out. Okay, Alcaraz becomes, well, there's a few stats here. Should we go through all of them? Why not? 28th world number one in the ATP rankings. Youngest number one in ATP rankings history. So that started in 1973 in August. Youngest Grand Slam men's champion since Rafael Nadal, who won the French Open in 2005 at 19. Youngest US Open men's champion since Pete Sampras, who was also 19 in 1990. First new world number one post-US Open since, since his coach won Carlos Ferro in 2003. First new world number one. So since Carlos Ferro was world number one in 2003, we've had like Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, right? As in, we're talking about people who, you know, <clears throat> became number one, but He's the first person to become one on one after the US Open, basically. A bit of a weird stat, that one, to be honest with you. Uh, and this is just a fun one, I guess. Alcaraz was four months and three days old when Ferrero became number one on 8th of September 2003 after reaching the US Open final where he lost Andy Roddick. He's the 57th Grand Slam men's champion in the Open era, 30th US Open men's champion in the Open era, and 10th US Open men's champion in the last 15 tournaments, which I guess shows how. Not random, but in a way, it has been a little bit random. <laughs> it has been a little bit random, the US Open, recently. So what does this mean? Because I have to say, a lot of people going into this year were pretty hyped on Alcaraz. Some people less so. But there was, th there's, I think there's this over overarching feeling from everyone that He's clearly a very good player. He's, he was going to win a slam in his career, if not multiple, just a matter of when. Now, some people thought he was way beyond where he was and expected him to win the French Open, for example, Roland Garros. Some people thought, oh, you know what? He's not going to win a slam until next year or maybe the year after. Well, it, it was somewhere in between. Now, I, I personally had said that I thought maybe he's not ready this year. 
And if he was going to be ready, it would happen at the US Open. Now, I wasn't particularly convinced. So really, most of my eggs were in the, he's going to win it next year. He's going to win a title, a Grand Slam title, that is, next year. But this year, it might not be might not be the case. He might not be ready yet. But I said if it was going to happen, it would be the US Open because of the way it plays. It's a hard court. It's pretty quick, yes, but it's not as quick as Australia. The bounce is quite nice in terms of the way that he plays and suits his style. Uh, yes, the clay is good for his game, but uh, as his coach has said, they think he's better on a hard court, and, and I agree. Um, I think he's great on all surfaces, which is obviously a fantastic sign of someone who has an all-court game, but I think if we're talking about which surface suits his style to a T, it would be the US Open, where, yes, the courts have quickened up, but it's still slower than the Australian Open, so it's not the fastest hard court on tour. Uh, it's kind of a, a medium-paced court, if that makes sense. Medium-fast, not fast um, court. So, And they also play with the extra duty balls as well, so a little bit of extra felt on there. Uh, rewards people with heavier balls with more control, etc, etc. So I would say that for Alcaraz, the US Open, in terms of conditions, is probably more favourable to his style. And of course, that ended up being the case, because he came out on top against Kasparud, and not just Kasparud, but many other opponents. We're going to quickly talk about him, because I know a lot of people would have talked about Alcaraz in detail, and you've probably heard a lot of fantastic facts other channels or other people or pundits about how he's progressed throughout the tournament how well he did but i also want to be able to talk about other players people that made the final like rude nadal you know kyrgios medvedev all these types of players sits the pass uh rublev as many players as possible without going on for a long period of time so let's get into this then so alcaraz of course won in four sets in the final 14 aces served ridiculously well so how did he get on in the tournament well you know, the biggest challenges that he faced were actually the prior three matches. Uh, first against Chilich in five sets. That was a really long match, of course, against a former US Open champion. I think struggled with the big serving that Chilich brought to the table. And I'm not particularly surprised by that because I, I did think that despite Alcaraz having some sort of natural... Uh, natural... Natural affinity to returning it hasn't quite well before the US Open anyway it wasn't quite where I thought it would be hadn't really improved at the same trajectory that the rest of his game had improved however it was good enough in this tournament for sure and I think what he's done is he's come to the realisation that I don't need to hit incredible returns every single point because he does have that great ability but it's also about making returns into play with enough depth with enough you know pop through the court to then get himself to neutral or on the front foot i get he doesn't want to be in defensive position and just block returns back into play where they're short but even against rude in the final he did block a couple of a few returns because he just he conceded the fact that, okay, well, this serve's going on the tee. If I try to hit a forehand, I'm probably going to, I'm not going to be in control of it 100%. So I could hit it wide, could go long, could shank it, could be short. Why don't I block this deep into the court, 
get myself to neutral, I can defend well enough if I'm on the back foot and then try and work from there. And I thought that was quite intelligent from Alcaraz, not just in the final, but in other of well, other matches as well. Including the Francis TFO match where he won in five sets. And that was, of course, another marathon match in the semi-final. And he ha- he did a similar thing there as well. I think if you watch the greatest returns of all time in Nadal and Djokovic, what they are great at doing is acknowledging when someone is serving very well. Or acknowledging when they are not particularly returning at their best. And what they're able to do is adapt. So whether it is adapting the return position, whether it is adapting how they're returning, uh, you know, their return position, not just from a distance point of view, but in terms of moving left to right, do they do they need to cover the line, cover down the team more than out wide? You know, what do they need to do to avoid getting stuck in uncomfortable positions? They will tweak it. They will adapt to make sure that they are as comfortable as possible. And that's what makes them the best returners. Yes, they have things that they are more comfortable with than others, but generally they're able to adapt to any type of serve that comes up against them. And a good example is Kyrgios against Djokovic in the Wimbledon final, where Djokovic struggled in the first set because Kyrgios' serve is top five in the world. And potentially on his day when he's firing, arguably even the best, was hitting his spots. It's hard to read. But then Djokovic started to get a better read on the serve after the first set. Started to commit to one side as well. Uh, didn't kind of second guess himself. And he ended up, of course, returning a lot better when on to win that final. So, look, Alcaraz is still very young. He's still got a lot of time to improve. But it's something that I've seen in his game. And I've been quite impressed with his maturity and also his willingness to try and improve against Sinner as well we didn't just see the technical improvements that we saw which was of course in the backhand to backhand exchanges the way that he clearly has started to try and shore up that backhand side defensively Uh, but there was a maturity there to also realize that I don't want to get stuck in these rallies so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and open up my forehand as soon as possible if Sinner doesn't give me if Sinner sorry doesn't hit with enough width or depth into the court, and I can make that into a forehand, I will make it into a forehand, and I will hit it into a forehand, or go into him, and try and get myself into a more comfortable position, which is hitting into my forehand, defending on my forehand, uh, because I know that I can do more damage, and also hit through the court with more confidence on that side. The backhand, by the way, and I'll reiterate it, is not a bad shot. Defensively, It's not a bad trait. The only, only caveat is that against the elite players, so when I say the elite players, I mean the elite, the players with elite backhands come up against him, they are are the only players on tour that are able to extract some sort of weakness on that backhand side, and that's his backhand defense. But he shored it up with great movement around the backhand on top of also going line first in the center exchanges which is impressive and he went didn't just go line and say oh, i'm just gonna hit line you know with a lot of loop no no he went line with pace with precision clearly something he's been working on uh, and his slices started to look better as well 
So all round, if we're looking at Alcaraz's game, it was a fantastic run, saved match point against Sinner in the fourth set as well of that match in the quarterfinal. That for me was the match of the tournament. It was an incredible match to watch. It was one that, you know, I just couldn't keep my eyes off. And they kept on breaking each other left, right and center. And there were some incredible points. His athleticism and Sinner's athleticism is incredible. And I can't wait to see those two battle it out more because Sinner had played him twice before, had won both those matches, of course, at Wimbledon and Umag. Alcaraz, however, getting a bit of revenge in, in arguably the biggest occasion because he went on to end up winning the tournament. But the fact that he played, whatever it was, 23 hours of tennis, the longest ever amount of time spent on court to win a Grand Slam is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Also a little bit surprising in a way because he has such an offensive game, but he's also able to defend incredibly well. And at times I think he had to grit his teeth, especially against Rude, uh, where Rude tried to make it very physical and tried to break him down. I think he thought that Alcaraz would break down. I, I, he didn't break down as much as I thought he would physically, but you could see there were some leggy moments and also he was a bit more selective on the points that he would really go full throttle at. So for me, Alcaraz, you know, I mean, it's an incredible achievement. The sky's are the limit, as, you know, Iga said on, on her post-match speech as well. And, of course, if you haven't done so, do check out our WTA review and also our full tournament review with Amy Lundy as well. So, so what I would say is that for Alcaraz now, there's only a few things that I think he really needs to iron out to then become this complete machine that people should really fear. One is the serve, and I, Amy talked about it when we did the video, and she's right in the sense that, yes, he served 14 aces against Rude, but that's not a regular occurrence. And it's not, to be fair. He did spots a lot better, um, you know, really managed to uh, generate a lot more pace than maybe I've seen in the past as well on the serve in some, in some instances even. And that's been impressive to see. He needs to keep working on that, needs to work on his second serve as well. If he can improve that and is and really continue to shore up his backhand defense and also develop a good backhand slice, like a really potent backhand slice, he's going to be, I mean, dare I say, it, on his day, playing in his best tennis, potentially almost unbeatable in terms of if he's able to add these things to his game. Now, they're quite big things to add and improve, but if everything is clicking in his game, it's a complete game. It really is. He's got one of the best skeletons in tennis in terms of baseline of anyone on tour. And I've never seen a 19-year-old as complete as this ever in my life. Because Nadal, when he won it at 19, wasn't a complete player. Like There was question marks around his backhand. There was question marks around his serve. Uh, he had incredible forehand, incredible return. There was question marks on his volley play. Uh, but he had athleticism. He had incredible forehand. He had a, uh, you know, a very, very potent return. And his defense was incredible. Alcaraz seems to have a bit of everything, uh, which is what makes it even scarier. And that's not to say, again, that I'm, I'm going to get overhyped and say that he's going to smash it. He's going to win every single Grand Slam next year. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in terms of looking at it from a completely, you know, kind of linear point of view, his game is more complete than any 19-year-old I've seen. Uh, Zverev, you know, was also up there in a way uh, when he was 19 as well. He hasn't quite kicked on, though. So, you know, we have to also caveat that. But incredible that Alcaraz has, of course, won his first slam, 
first Grand Slam title before Zverev or a Tsitsipas. You know, I mean, it says a little bit about maybe that generation, but also maybe about who he had to face. He didn't have to, of course, face a Djokovic or a Nadal Alcaraz in this tournament, but you can only play who's in front of you. And there's definitely no asterisk spot, uh, next to his name for this tournament because he beat some fantastic players, uh, no doubt. And some fantastic players in great form. So, yeah, he's become world number one. Uh, incredible tournament, as I said. And the fact that he came off three five-setters to then beat Rude in the final in four, the way he did, especially given that he won that tiebreaker in the third set, which was crucial, by the way, because Rude had had a couple of set points in that third set. Didn't uh, Alcaraz somehow saved them. And then Alcaraz took it to a tiebreaker. He'd lost all four tiebreakers, two apiece against Tiafoe and Sinner in their five-set matches. Then to win that 7-1, I mean, that's very impressive to me. So, uh, you know, he'll be very proud, as will his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrer, who says that he's at 60%. Not quite sure how, how much I believe that. But either way, incredible performance from Alcaraz. Let's go on to Ruud then. Casper Ruud, now, talking, let's just continue on about talking about the final a little bit because that third set, when he had set points, that will come back to haunt him a little bit because he takes one of those set points and we go into a fourth set with Rude, you know, winning that set. He would have been two sets, one up. Alcaraz would then, you know, having to then win in five. Alcaraz might take the fourth set, maybe. But that fifth set then becomes very interesting because the physical aspect... I'm not quite sure if Alcaraz is able to then. I know he dig, he dug deep for four sets, but five sets, I don't know. I don't know. And especially mentally as well. You know, Rude was never in front in that final. Never. So to be in front, the pressure on Alcaraz, Alcaraz physically as well and mentally having to battle, I don't know. Because it would take a lot. It would take a lot. And I know he's an incredible player, but Casper Rude would have put himself in the driving seat, honestly. And that's how brutal tennis can be because at the end of the match, if I'm not mistaken, there was a difference of five points between the two players. And I have to say, really, there was only a difference between, in two points, two critical points, those two set points he had. Uh, he'll be disappointed, I think, not to have taken one of them and, and he'll know the significance that will have, I th would have had even in the match. And I know, of course, both players had a lot of break points and etc etc but um yeah i don't know i don't know so going into um going to casper Ruud then i mean his form has improved dramatically on the hard course and i know he made the final of miami but he really has improved i mean his backhand has been shored up big time i mean it's still not you know, it's not, it's not a backhand that Djokovic or a Sinner possesses, but it's a backhand that now is serviceable, one that he doesn't have to continually hide. There were some backhand return winners he hit against Alcaraz, which I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, and at one point, he'd hit more winners than Alcaraz on the backhand side. So generally, his backhand looks a lot better. Uh, his slice is a little bit floaty at times, but he's working on it. And I can tell uh, it's it will be effective. He hits it with good depth and spin. So it's just about kind of getting more pace and, and backing himself to hit with lower coverage over the net. Um, but yeah, the back drive backhand, less floaty, uh, hits through the hits through the court more. It's just a, it's a much, much better 
backhand as well. It's still not a huge weapon, but it's one that he can at least be able to be offensive off, which is just like massive for him. It really is. Uh, the forehand one plus plays has always been good, and it's continue. Sorry, the serve one plus plays has always been good and is continually uh, improving as well. So many incredible kind of like serve forehand combinations, uh, you know, in his service games, and he always finds himself in good positions most of the time behind the one plus shot because of how uh, how aggressive and proactive it is. Uh, so that's great to see that his willingness to come to the net as well. Uh, with of course himself and Alcaraz both. Willing to come to that, and there are a lot of net exchanges. And his hands are a little bit underrated, Kasparud's. In the forecourt, I think he's actually quite good. I don't think I wouldn't say he's uh, the most natural or he's an elite volleyer. I think he, a lot of his approach shots are incredible, which set up easy volleys. But his willingness to actually come forward is what I'm impressed more, most impressed about. And that has been something that has developed, I think, um, not, not too long ago, to be fair. So something that you know I, I've been quite impressed with and also his ability to change his return position and actually you know sit there and say you know what I shouldn't always be returning so deep into court so I'm going to step up and he did that against Berrettini now he wasn't stepping on the baseline but he was maybe two meters three meters behind the baseline and he returned a lot better Russia's opponents didn't get dragged out all the time and the issue they had in the final was in that final set he kind of reverted back to type and Alcraz then just, even on the second serve at times, was hitting serves out wide and then coming to the net and finishing off the point because Rude was so far off court that he'd hit the the return, but it just ended up being an easy volley and Rude wasn't going to get to the volley um, because Alcraz would normally volley in the opposite uh, side of the court and normally a drop volley. And I mean, it's just impossible, even for someone as fit as Rude to get there. So his defensive capabilities are good as well. We know um, number two in the world now, and I can't see him dropping off a cliff uh, in terms of his form. So two Grand Slam finals, two losses, fine. But one against Rafa at Roland Garros, there's no shame in that. Alcaraz, I mean, look, I know you said after he doesn't want to see a Spanish player in the final again uh, because that's the way to win a title. He'll win one. Whether it's next year, I'm not sure, but he will win one. Uh, you know, it's great to see him get out of that mold of just, oh, I'm just a clay court specialist. And I'm sure he'll turn around to Kyrgios and say, hi, Kyrgios, what do you think, mate? Uh, but, I mean, we missed out in a, in a way because Kyrgios Hatchinov, you know, Kyrgios wins that and we get Kyrgios rude. It would have been a lot closer on him than people think. A lot of people, including myself, before the tournament would have said Kyrgios would have blown away. But given how well rude played, 50-50, it really would have been. Uh, and talking of Kyrgios, you may as well go on to him. So Nick Kyrgios. How well did he play? Now, he came into the tournament with a lot of a lot of confidence around him, and rightly so, because he's played some really, really good tennis since Wimbledon. He's won the most matches on tour, I think, since the start of that tournament. And you could tell he was priming himself for the US Open. Now, he did look good. He did. Up until the Hatchdor victory, I think, you know, there were a couple of, I wouldn't say flat performances, but some that weren't kind of didn't really like set the world alight, but he looked pretty good. He did. You know, I was I was impressed with the way that he was just managing to just get through matches. You know, JJ Wolf in the third round, for example, straight sets, Kokonakis to the first, and you're just thinking, okay, he's getting the job done, and that's all you need, really. That's all you need. Uh, but in the fourth round, 
um, or round of 16 even, he came up against, uh, well, sorry, quarterfinals against Hatchinov. Now, round of 16, he ended up beating Medvedev, which was an incredible victory. So he came off the back of a fantastic win, actually. Uh, and I was saying maybe he was kind of just dealing with people. But Medvedev, of course, one number one, joint favorite with Nadal. And you're thinking, well, hmm, who's going to win this? Now, in my pre-tournament bracket, I'd pick Medvedev. And I was very, very... I was, I was wrestling with the decision. I really was. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, and then when we did the preview for this match, the round of 16 match, I actually picked Kyrgios. And guess what? I picked Kyrgios in four sets. And you know what? I was right. <laughs> but anyway, he took the first set. And this arguably, after the... Uh, I would say there's three matches that are the, were the best in the tournament for me. And in any order you want. But I think, realistically, Alcaraz is the best. So Alcaraz Sinner, then Alcaraz TFO, and then Kyrgios Medvedev. Now, some might say Alcaraz rude as well, because there was some incredible tennis played there. But just something about... Medvedev Kyrgios and I, I still stick by that first set the tennis played and the tiebreaker one of the best I've ever seen uh, the level was really high from both and it's not like Medvedev didn't play well Kyrgios just played better he just played better Medvedev tried to tinker with uh, return positions and step higher up in the court Medvedev, uh, Kyrgios just said okay fine I'm just going to go down the tee with a serve and good luck trying to return it and it was good luck trying to return it because he struggled but what was even more impressive is the fact that Medvedev then took the second set, though, 6-3, after Kyrgios had taken the tiebreaker 13-11. So great mental recovery from Medvedev. But then Kyrgios was just calm. And to the third and fourth, 6-3, 6-2. I mean, he played some incredible tennis. And, and maybe it was the fact that he just played Medvedev and the high of playing the world number one. Then the quarterfinals having to play Hatchinov, who, you know, again, like not everyone would have expected Hatchinov to make it to that stage. On top of Hatchinov not really being in a lot of people's eyes, as big a threat as Medvedev, but little did they know that Hatchinov was playing incredible tennis. Um, five sets. Five sets. Kyrgios losing 7-5, 4-6, 7-5, 6-7, to Karen Hatchinov. And I have to say that was disappointing because he knows, especially after he smashes rack a couple of times, not saying that's right, shouldn't have done it, but he knew after that match that he that this is one of the best opportunities for him to win a slam bar the Wimbledon final, which he played, he played against Djokovic, but he knew there's no Nadal in here. There's no Djokovic left anymore. He wins that. He plays Casper Rude, and then he would have played Alcaraz if he'd won against Rude. Now, he picked Alcaraz to win the tournament before, but he knew in the final, would I rather play Alcaraz or would I rather play Nadal or Djokovic? Alcaraz, right? First Grand Slam final. Kyrgios has just made a Grand Slam final. He knows what it's like. The crowd would have been about 50-50. Do you know what I mean? And if he served incredibly well, he had a chance. So, look, I mean, it was disappointing to see and I would have loved to have seen him in the semi-finals at least. And I would have, honestly, and you know, I'm a massive rude fan, but in terms of spectacle, an alcaraz Kyrgios final would have been incredible. I feel like that's the only thing we really missed out on. I, I know Nadal went went out early but that wasn't surprising and there's always going to be upset so we can't get everything we want um but given kind of that they made the quarterfinals i was like it's tracking towards that that was a bit of a shame 
But you know what? He'll come back. And he, I know he was really down after and rightly so. And I'm glad to see he's got the hunger to win a slam. This is something that we haven't seen from Kyrgios all his career until this year. Uh, I hope that continues because if he stays mentally dialed in to win a to win a slam, to really want to go for it, he will train hard. He will do the right things. He will take the right steps. And, you know, he'll come out firing at the Australian Open. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if he's another contender there as well. Let's talk about Francis TFO. Francis TFO uh, had an incredible run to the semifinals. I mean, beating Nadal, of course, in the round of 16, and he served unbelievably well. Hit his spots with incredible precision, precision uh, almost, almost hitting that 140-mile-per-hour mark. Incredible baseline hitting with a short backswing, sweet timing off the forehand side. Backhand is solid, can hit winners off that side too. Return, comes forward, aggressive, steps in, uh, you know, and also isn't afraid to come forward, has good hands in the net, you know, good ability to maneuver the ball with good angles. There's a lot to love about the TFO game. There is. The fact that he then beat Rublev in the quarterfinals 7 6, 7 6, 6 4. Gritty performance to come through against a very powerful Rublev was impressive. And what was even more impressive is his ability to come back from uh, two sets to one down to then force a fifth set against Alcaraz, considering that it went to a tiebreaker the fourth set and he won it 7-5. Look, TFO had an incredible tournament. Now, he was limping, if I'm not mistaken, uh, during the Nadal match. I don't know whether that was just like a little niggle um, I didn't really see it against Rublev. Um, and then Alcaraz, there was just, I think it was just fatigue, honestly, in a way. he ha He's never not used to making it this far in a Grand Slam. And he's incredibly fit, but he's just not used to making it this far. Simple. So fantastic win for Carlos Alcaraz in the semifinal. But TFO gave it his all. He was so disappointed after. Uh, said, you know, he wanted to win it all said, you know, he will win the US Open. And <clears throat> again, he's someone who I feel like was on a similar trajectory potentially to a Kyrgios. But what's happened is I feel like he has mentally matured at the same time as Kyrgios in the sense that this tournament is was is like Kyrgios' Wimbledon. Something's clicked. Now, it's whether, now, the question is, does he really ride the wave and continue to go with it, work hard, really stay mentally dialed in, or does he then drop off? I'm hoping he stays mentally. I'm hoping we see him deep in Grand Slams now going forward. It's not going to be every Grand Slam, but at the, I don't know, at the Australian Open, Wimbledon, and the US Open, really, we should be seeing him try to be making at least the quarterfinals, I would say, because he's got the ability to. At Roland Garros, fine, maybe not, but the other tournaments, I don't see why not. So we'll see how he gets on, but Great tournament for Francis TFO. Some really good things um, you know, for him to be happy about, his team to be happy about. And for Americans as well, it's, of course, great for him to, uh, to kick on. In terms of other players, I mean, Medvedev, I mentioned, and you know, I very briefly mentioned him. Look, I mean, he came up against an inspired Kyrgios. That's clearly not a good matchup for him. The head-to-head -head is pretty one-sided in favor of Kyrgios. And he would have just been a bit disappointed to get that so early, given the world number one. But... That's unfortunately just how the rankings have played out because Kyrgios's ranking wasn't given a boost because of the Wimbledon uh, ranking point situation where <clears throat> Wimbledon didn't give, weren't granted, sorry, ranking points. So Kyrgios made the final. 
didn't get anything from it. Look, I mean, he will look at that and it might end up being just a matchup in his career that is a losing head-to-head and is always difficult. And that's kind of what is developing into. Uh, his deep return position doesn't work well against the Kyrgios serve and Kyrgios' ability to come forward and volley and transition really well. Then when he steps up, Kyrgios' serve is so big and so precise, he's able to go down the tee and still punish him. Um, in the backhand to backhand exchanges, you know, he's able to hang with Medvedev. Um, forehand, when it's on, it's just like, you know, again, Medvedev's forehand is, is very is good. It's very good, but it's not elite. And Kyrgios' forehand, again, is, is a similar mold. But when he's confident, and especially against someone like Medvedev, when he knows he can beat him because he's done it multiple times now, his confidence is almost through the roof there. So, his volley game, his serve game from the back of the court, they're all things that really Medvedev, you know, he will have success, especially from the back of the court. And I feel like they'll always be close matches, but there's a reason why Kyros is edging them currently in his the serve. Medvedev's serve is fantastic, but it had it needs to improve a little bit to get back to how elite it was before. I think it's gone gotten a little bit, a little bit less potent than prior to his surgery so i'm i'm hoping it comes back to where it was because it's not he's not far off but these margins make a big difference they do i mean you know he says it better in that tiebreak he takes it probably ends up winning the match as i say tennis is it really is a match a sport of fine margins okay since bats i can touch upon quickly against galan of course lost the first round um Look, I mean, got bageled and breadsticked and lost in four. Um, I was a bit disappointed because I know he's a bit fatigued and I get that because of the year that he's had and he's played quite a lot of tennis. But the fact that he he's made two semifinals at the Australian Open makes me think that the US Open surface should suit his game even more than the Australian Open. A lot of people had him winning the tournament. Uh, some people had him making the final. I think I had him making the final, actually, which is crazy. Um, now I think about it. Look, I mean, he looked good. He did. He looked good uh, in the last couple of weeks prior. But it just wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. And his kind of horrible form at in, Aust- in, sorry, in New York continues. Hasn't made it past the fourth round. We'll see how he gets on. We will. Um, I- I'm expecting him to come back and, and potentially... Again, make something similar to a similar performance or result to what he had in Australia last year. Women in the semi-finals, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so I just think it was a little bit of a blip, and hopefully he'll continue to work on his game and come back stronger for the rest of the year or next year as well. Who else did touch one? I mean, some of the Brits. I mean, Andy Murray made the third round, lost to Berrettini. Um, Berrettini again not, doesn't seem to be a f- fantastic matchup for Murray stylistically if this is the murray from no five years ago then or six years ago then you're thinking okay well yeah murray wins that because it's a big server in berrettini with a big forehand good at the net murray though is is able to combat that you know in a particularly comfortable way given how how his game is but in his current state in terms of age wise right and just he's not the player he once was he's not not massively far off in the sense that he's not, you know, it's not like he's 
losing to these guys in straight sets. But I feel like that was almost the best he had to give. And it just wasn't quite good enough. And I think it frustrated him after he talked about it in the press. And I think the reason why he was saying he was proud of his performance is because he probably acknowledges the fact that he couldn't really give much more. There was probably some decisions that he could have made better in terms of shot selection, etc. But Berrettini just played better. And Berrettini at the moment is a better player. Um, and Berrettini had a pretty good run as well. He'll be disappointed how he lost to Rude in the um, quarterfinals. Because, you know, the first two sets really got blown away. I think it was five love down after 20 minutes. And But in saying that, you know, he tested positive. He's had a rough few months. So the way that he was able to recover nicely, had zero experience in the US Open Series, kept on losing the first round. So the way that he managed to pick himself up and find some decent form in this Grand Slam was impressive. And I'm happy for him. Uh, there's other players like Felix... You know, he will be disappointed to say the least to lose uh, because, again, this is a tournament that he would have expected to have gone deep in given that he had the semifinals last year. Uh, but ended up losing Jack Draper. He played some really good tennis, to be fair. Jack uh, lost in a straight set, 6 4 4, sorry, 4 4 and 4. And then for Draper, you know, lost the Hatchinov but was winning at the time. Uh, you know, that would have been disappointing to have that hamstring injury when he did, especially when he'll look at Hatchinov and see that he made the semifinals. But that is what it is, um, to be honest with you. So uh, I'm mentioning Hatchinov. We've got to give him a shout out. Great run from him. Served, uh, you know, I always talk about the top five servers on tour. He was serving that elite. He was. He was serving like an elite player and um, played some incredible tennis. And there's a reason why he is an Olympic silver medalist. And that was on the hard courts. He is a very good hard court player when it does uh, click. He is. Into in forehand, it's really good. Uh, crazy technique, kind of uh, crane-like almost, but it's so effective uh, when it's on song. His backhand is super solid. And um, now his net game can be good at times when he wants to commit. Uh, defensively, pretty good and pretty sound. And yeah, the serve is really the weapon. So I think that's pretty much everyone. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Nadal, of course, lost to TFO. I'm not going to touch on that too much. Came into it cold. Uh, TFO played some incredible tennis. Nadal losing to Chorich, who obviously fell early. Um, wasn't It just wasn't ideal uh, preparation. And, you know, a couple of issues with the ab injury, having to remodel his serve. I'm not really too worried about it. I think he'll be back, and he'll be back okay for next year or the rest of the year etc thanks very much guys stay safe and well and we'll see you on the next video let me know your thoughts on the atp review and did i miss anything out if so let me know your thoughts in the comment section below